This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Here, Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the week one teaching from the series, Do Something, entitled The Jeff Foxworthy Story. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses online, or if you're listening by uh, some other form of, of, of technology, we are so excited. In fact, honestly, I'm eager for this series and have been ever since our 30th anniversary. When we talked about cause trouble and we knew that there would be a, a series that we would hit this fall, and, and here we are. I'm just convinced that this is going to be a pivotal teaching series, a time when God turns things for the good for you individually and for us collectively. So let's jump in. I had a chance to sit with Jeff Foxworthy, the Jeff Foxworthy, for the launch of this Do Something series. And in fact, uh, this kind of interview conversation with Jeff and a couple of others will we'll, we'll take about half of the teaching time, and you are going to love this today. Now, most of you know that Jeff is kind of the comedy king of redneck. And I asked Jeff early on, I'm like, Jeff, how does that work with your family? Does that create difficulty when you use your family as, as illustration and comedy? And how did that whole redneck thing get started? So let's jump right in there. Enjoy, Jeff. If the most expensive thing you ever bought at the mall came from the food court, you might be a redneck. Did anybody else have the swing set? My parents were too lazy to actually pour the concrete in the ground. We had the swing set. Every time you swung above this high, the front legs would go. You use your family, your wife, your kids, your extended family. Do you ever get in trouble when you get home? Uh, do you have to get permission to use all your family? Yeah, I always talked about, you know, and, and it's, if, if you go back and watch a special or listen to an album, it's a snapshot of what was going on in my life. I mean, I started off talking about dating. I was, then I talked about being a newlywed. And then I talked about having yeah. a baby. And yeah. so... Oh, do, and do they get? Do they ever get mad? Does your wife ever say that's the only the time lid. my wife ever got mad? I did. I used to do a joke about why is it when a woman gets in the bed, the temperature of her feet and butt drop to below freezing? <laughs> it could be ninety-eight degrees outside. That butt is ice cold, and wanna put it on you. It's like snuggling with a butterball turkey. <laughs> And so one day we were going through the airport and somebody came up to me and looked right at my wife and they go, are you the one with the cold butt? And she's like, oh, please quit talking about this on stage. And my in-laws, I talked about my in-laws so much and they, they became aware of it. They were like, you know, it's a lot. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna talk about you. 
but I'll take you on a great vacation, kind of as payment for talking about you. And then once I got him on vacation, I had 20 more minutes of material. And so it was like a 20-year loop I couldn't get out of. So now it's a business investment. Yes. With well, high yeah. returns. Yeah, I'm taking him on vacation. <laughs> Did they ever I'm catch gonna get, on? I'm going to get another album out of it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Did they ever catch on or it was no, okay? It no. just It all worked. The kids caught on. Because <laughs> when the kids were little, I would talk about them. But then when they got to be teenagers, it was like, Dad, stop. Stop. Where did the redneck thing come from? How did that get started? You know, when I, because I'd never really been anywhere before I became, I mean, I'd been to Tennessee and South Carolina. And so when I started going up to New York in the early days of comedy, the only advice that I would get was guys would say, yo, Jeff, look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, right? But you got to take some voice lessons and lose that stupid accent you got. And I was like, well, where I come from, you have the stupid accent. And so I was real stubborn about my accent. Um, I, I was always an outdoor guy. I loved to hunt and fish. So I wore jeans. I wore boots. I drove a truck. And I talked like this. So as I'm traveling the country, it was good-natured, but it was always like, ah, Foxworthy, you're nothing but old redneck from Georgia. I'm like, okay. Well, one night, I'm playing in a club right outside Detroit. And after the show, we're sitting around, and they're kidding me about being a redneck. And the club we were playing in was attached to a bowling alley that had valet parking. And I said, if you don't think you have rednecks in Michigan, look out the window. People are valet parking at the bowling alley. Oh, that's fantastic. And I went back to the hotel that night, and I, you know, I, I wasn't thinking, oh, it's going to be a hook, or it's going to be a book, or it's going to be a calendar. I was just like... Look, I know what I am, but apparently a lot of people don't. And I wrote 10 ways to tell how you might be a redneck. And I went back the next night, and not only were people laughing, they were pointing at each other. And so I thought, okay, if I can write 10, can I write 20? If I can write 20, can I write 50? And I ended up where I had a few hundred of them. And then I thought, well, maybe this could be a book. And I think that first book sold 4 million copies or something. Wow. So That's never, never saw it coming. So there you have it, some of the background, and how interesting. By the way, I don't know if you're aware that Jeff has sold more comedy recordings than anybody in history, in comedy history. I mean, it's really quite impressive. And so with all his fame and a net worth that makes the world envious, it surprised me in the conversation when Jeff told me the guy, the man who has influenced him, he said the most. And by the way, it was not his dad. His dad left when he was a kid. There's a guy named Wayne Cook. I'm like, who's Wayne Cook? I've not heard of him. I don't know. Is he famous? I come to find out that, that Wayne Cook was, was once homeless in inner city Atlanta and hooked on cocaine. And I'm like, oh, that is curious. How does a, a homeless addict become that impactful on the life of someone rich and famous like Jeff Foxworthy? It's a great question. And it's a great story. I'm going to tell you that story today. It all started with Jeff answering the prayer of Jesus. And that is the prayer to live sent. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed. And this prayer is for all of us. 
Let's put it on the screen. I want you to see this prayer. He prayed, Heavenly Father, as you have sent me, as you have what, everybody? Sent me into the world. I have sent them. I have what? Sent them, my followers, into the world. In other words, we are to be here on mission. We have a we have a call of God on our life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, stay with me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, say, oh, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, then you have a mission, you have a call on your life. Jesus prayed for you that you would live sent. He's sending you on mission, on purpose, into your world where he's placed you. In other words, we are not spectators looking on we are participants who live sent. Participants who live what? Sent. Think of it like this. Any middle schoolers, high schoolers, anybody in their teen years? Okay, all of you guys across the campuses, listen, it's a wonderful season of life. So glad my kids got to grow up in, in, in the student ministry here. It's powerful. And I have my last one coming up through, Jaden, he's 15. And, and I can just tell you this. We, I mean, we have the best pastors and the best students and the best volunteers. Awesome, awesome experience. But, but, but I know from middle school through high school, one of the most important transitions is when you learn to drive. <laughs> That's like becoming an adult. And, and Jaden just finished recently his, his driver's training. And here's the point. Jaden has been in the car for 15 years with me. But he's always been a passenger. A what? A passenger. Which means he's just all about himself. I mean, he's sitting in the car. He's with his phone. He's just whatever's happening in his own little world. As soon as he takes driver's training, he now realizes there's a whole world outside the car happening. And you got to learn about that world. I mean, it is blowing his mind. It's like, wake up to what we're really doing here. Get outside your little, I mean, when you have to learn to drive and you have to figure out all the rules and all the laws and all the other cars to negotiate, I mean, it is a tough, wonderful transition. But you go from a passenger to a driver, from a passenger to a what? See, it's a wake up. It's growing up. Can I tell you, that's what this series is. This is a wake up. What's often broken in our faith is that many of us have settled into being passengers in some kingdom car of God as if that was an option. When in fact, we're all supposed to be drivers, participants. See, God the Father sent Jesus into the world to do good, to model obedience. To give his life as a sacrifice to cover our sin debt. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Now listen, Jesus though is still here doing good. Right here now, how? In and through us. We're supposed to be Jesus doing good to the world around us. So Jesus is still intimately involved in doing exactly what he did. Therefore, we're supposed to live sin. Let me give you a working definition. It's in your notes. A working definition of live sin. It means to join. It means to love. It means to tell. In fact, I'll put it on the screen. You can do a little quick fill in the blank. It means to join Jesus. In other words, it's not Jesus joining us. We join Jesus. It's loving people like Jesus. That's living sin. We'll talk about that over this series. It's telling people about Jesus because he's the only hope. We'll talk about that. But, but, but all of that kind of comes into this thought of live sent. And Ephesians chapter 2 gives us kind of a quick biblical statement or summary. Let me put that on the screen as well for you to look at. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do what? Good works. 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. So welcome to do something. (laughs) Welcome to do something good. For the next six weeks, 12 Stone, we are going to be on a wonderful, wonderful ride together. And we're going to learn to move from passengers to drivers. We're going to live sent. And over the six weeks, we're going to take the story of the Apostle Paul and we're going to parallel modern day stories of people who are living sent, like a Jeff Foxworthy, like some young people up and coming you'll hear about in the weeks ahead, like a, like a Hollywood movie star of the most familiar face you don't know, of a a rock and roll success who's learned a new definition of success. This is going to be all through the six weeks of the series, but we're going to do something we've never done before. Pay attention. On the fifth week, it's going to be Live Sent Sunday. That's October 7th. Live Sent Sunday. It's the fifth week. Stay with me. On that week, we're going to do something we've never done before. On that week, there's going to be no services at any of the campuses at 12 Stone. We are postponing, canceling service, and sending every 12-stoner out into the community to do something good. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to actually do it. I don't know if that messes with your head or not, but that's what we're going to do. Because we can't just have a do-something conversation. not do. And then the week after, you'll learn what that looks like and what we'll do and develop toward that. But then the week after that, we're coming back together. We're going to talk about the stories. We're going to tell the great story of faith. Invite people to say yes to Jesus. We're going to have open baptism. It's going to be great celebration. six weeks is God marking us in a definitive way. So Paul, Paul the apostle, God using him to cause trouble and change lives. I mentioned it back at our 30th anniversary that we'd be on this subject in Acts chapter 17. Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's moving through places like Thessalonica. And when he does, the people there got ticked. The unbelievers, while many people were coming to Christ, and they said, he's causing trouble. (laughs) Now, it was cause trouble for good. It wasn't cause trouble like, you know, being drunk and making a problem. And we said, we're going to be talking about causing trouble for good. But hang on. I'm going to do that next week. We're not ready for that. Because Paul would tell us, before God causes trouble for good through you, God does something unique. It's something you need to know. So we're going to back it up and go to Acts 9, 16 years before he was causing trouble in Thessalonica for good. Let me put the statement on the screen. This is what you need to know. Paul would say you need to know that you were created to do something good. You were created to what, church? Do something good. To cause trouble for good in your world. But before God causes trouble for good through you, write it down, through you, God causes trouble for good where? In you, yeah. Acts chapter 9. Grab your Bibles. It's right underneath your chair. Just reach down, pull it out across campuses. You had access to a Bible. We want you to look at it with me on page 1100, page 1100, Acts chapter 9. And here the apostle Paul would say, listen, 16 years before Acts 17, where I'm causing trouble for good in the lives of people, where I'm living sent, where I'm joining Jesus, where I'm loving like Jesus loves where I'm telling people about Jesus, before that happens, God did something in me. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Pause. It says Saul. Who's that? Well, Saul was his name 
birth name given. It was changed from Saul to Paul. He became the Apostle Paul. This is his experience. But at this time, while he believed in God, he didn't believe in Jesus. Ah, I don't believe in Jesus. He was anti-Jesus. In fact, more than that, he was persecuting the church. He was on his way to Damascus to throw more Christians in jail. And he meets the living God. Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What you must what, church? Do. <laughs> You're going to do something. This isn't, this isn't a passenger ride. This is not a spectator sport. You're going to do something. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Listen, in that moment, God physically blinded him, but Paul discovered he had been spiritually blind for a long time. He wasn't able to see the big truths in life. He wasn't able to see who God really was. Listen, he was resisting the very God he was seeking. In fact, if Paul were here, I think he'd ask you, where are you resisting God right now? Even if you're a believer, where in your life are you resisting God? Where are you blind to the things God is doing around you? Where are you sitting as a passenger and you're not even paying attention to what's happening out in the real world? See, Paul would say, God loves you so much that he's going to stir things in you, cause trouble in you, awaken things in you before you ever cause trouble in the lives of everybody else. And listen, if you won't let the gospel, the truth of God, cause trouble in you, you'll never be fully used by God to cause trouble for good in the lives of those around you. God's going to do a work in you. Listen, many times God will wake you up to where you are blind to your own selfishness. Maybe you're blind in your own marriage. Maybe what's not working, you're a contributor, you can't see it. Maybe you're blind in the way you manage money. Maybe you're blind in your self-centeredness. Maybe you're blind in your definition of success. In fact, let me just take it to the board. What we're all in the journey of is God helping us move from living for self, which is our nature, fallen nature, to become a person who, by God's grace, will live sin. And even when you come to faith in Christ, many of us still struggle with this living for self. In other words, we're over here, and what we really tend to think is, oh, Jesus, you join me. When we come to faith in Jesus, a whole bunch of us just stay stuck here. Oh, Jesus, it's all about me. I want Jesus to come into my life to be more about me. Your power, your help, me, me, more me. When the whole idea was for us to begin to live sin, and we join Jesus. It's not Jesus joining us. We join Jesus. We get on his agenda. We get beyond ourselves. Listen, you can't live a bigger life if you can't live a life beyond yourself. And, and this whole conversation is what Jeff was talking about. In fact, in a moment, I had a conversation with him about success and his learnings. It's a couple minutes, but it's insightful. Check it out. You came to faith when you were... Seven years Seven old. Seven years old. And God's given you all kinds of success. Has, it, has the success ever made it difficult for you to fully follow Jesus? Has that, has, has that been collision or has that been cooperative through the years? Both. You know, it was, I got exposed to stuff which the success will do. Uh, 
I, I remember when I had a sitcom in the mid-90s, and we were next to Roseanne and Seinfeld and all of that. And, 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 and I got to—because the world will tell you, hey, if you're rich or if you're famous, that's the top of the mountain. That's as high as it gets. And through my years in Hollywood, I saw a lot of people that were incredibly rich and incredibly famous and incredibly miserable. You talk about hopeless. If your goal is to be rich and famous and you finally get there and it doesn't fill that void, where the heck do you What's go next? And so, you know, I look back at that and I kind of thank God for showing me that to go, hey, this is what the world's going to tell you, but this isn't it. You know, it's weird for me. I, it's not even like I think, okay, well, because all this good stuff happened to me, then I owe it to God to go do something. I don't, that's not the way I think. I, I just, I know what it feels like just to be loved for who you are. It, it, I mean, it's not really a conscious thing going, I'm going to pay this back. It's like, crap, I know what it feels to be loved, so I'm going to love on you. I know what it feels like to be encouraged. I'm going to encourage you. And it's rich, man. I, I, am, I did nothing to deserve having such a fool and cool life. By the way, when Jeff says such a full and cool life, you might think, well, sure, he's rich and famous. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about a rich and cool life that comes out of moving from living for self to living sin. See, in Jeff's life, God did some stirring. He was causing trouble in Jeff. And he was stirring in Jeff to get beyond himself. For Jeff, that meant saying yes to God to, to go serve in the Atlanta mission, to serve, serve men who, who are homeless. And that involved a, a friend of mine, Ronnie Brassfield. He's a prayer partner, a 12-stoner, and a counselor. And, and really, it was Ronnie that brought... Jeff Foxworthy into this conversation and their journey is powerful. It's worth the whole next 10, 11 minutes. I want you, I want you to experience this, so check it out. Ronnie, uh, for several years you told me you were friends with Jeff Foxworthy and I know you're a godly man, but I sort of didn't believe you because I've never <laughs> seen you with him. So I'm like, well, you keep talking about this friend. Maybe it's imaginary. Maybe you wish he was your friend uh, because you guys do some work together. But now I believe you, my brother. Now I believe you. Yeah. So uh, here we go officially. Great to meet you, Thank Jeff, you. Yeah. and great to have you here yeah. at 12 Stone with us. And this is a wonderful time to celebrate. Now, you guys have been friends for a while, right? This goes back uh, a few years. years. How yeah. many? 20. 20 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you guys have been in a Bible study, uh, pouring into the lives of guys at the Atlanta Mission. Tell, tell me, how, how did you get into that, and, and why did you agree? I was with my girls at the Carter Center. We had gone down to, to watch. Some guy had done a, a, a documentary. When the thing was over, all the girls were in the bathroom. I have all girls. I don't know what they do in the bathroom, but it takes a long time. <laughs> And so I'm by myself killing time, and there was a table set up from a guy at the Atlanta Mission, a guy named Josh Harrelson. And so I'm killing time, and I'm looking at their brochures, and as I open it up, I was like, oh, I never realized the Atlanta Mission was so faith-based. And I get to talking to the guy about it a little bit, and he writes his phone number on the thing, and he says, hey, give me a call sometime. Come down and have lunch. So I go down to the Mission to have lunch with Josh. We're in the middle of downtown Atlanta, and the, we're sitting downstairs in the cafeteria, and the first guy that sits down next to us is this white kid that's 
20, 21 years old, and he's living at the mission. Now, my first thought was, what the heck are you doing? Get a job. And his name was Jason, and, and Josh said, hey, Jason, tell Jeff your story. Jason said, well, it was me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. When I was 11, my mom killed herself. He said, one year later, my brother killed himself. It was just me and my dad, and my second year of college, my dad killed himself. He said, I just couldn't hurt anymore, so I started numbing. I just started getting high. Huh. And I'm like, Dad gum, dude, I would have got high too. Mm. And all of a sudden, I was like, I could be you. The cool yeah. thing is, a decade later, Jason's been sober for 10 years. Huh. He went back to college. He got his nursing degree. Wow. And all of a sudden, it, it put a face and a story behind somebody that I had just tried to marginalize and ignore. And I kept saying to Josh, because he invited me back to lunch, and for day one, I'm like, what do you want from me? You, right, want me to, right. you want me to do a concert and give you the money? Do you want me to record your radio commercials? You want something. What do you want from me? So about the third lunch, Josh said, you keep asking me what do I want from you. He said, I'll tell you. And I'm like, all right, here we go. He said, these guys, if they've ever been to church, it was like corporate worship where they're sitting in the pew. He said, none of them have ever done a small group. He said, well, you lead a small group for these guys. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, there's six million people in Atlanta and you can't find anybody more qualified than me to do this? But this is all I did. And this is the only thing that we can ever do for God. I said, yes. And... It started with me and 12 guys in a little room. And it was difficult because these guys had never been in an environment where they could, they could talk about spiritual things. They listened, maybe, but they had never talked, and I was having a hard time getting them to talk. Well, Ronnie at that point was a counselor, and I said, hey, would you ever have a chance maybe to come down and help me out on Tuesday morning at the mission? He goes, I can't do it. He goes, Tuesday's my busiest day counseling. Uh, and then, what, a week or two later, you call and you go, I don't know why, but everybody I had Tuesday mornings canceled. I'll come down there and meet you. <laughs> with, the, with the caveat, I can only do it this one time. Of course. Ten years later, I don't know that he's ever missed one. <laughs> How's that one time working? <laughs> How's that one time working out? And you don't call him Ronnie anyway, do you? <laughs> no, I call him Chicken Man. And nobody at the mission, if you said Ronnie, nobody at the mission would know who you were talking about. But he used to be, before he became a counselor, he was a chicken farmer. And a tornado, a tornado wiped out his farm. He had, how many dead chickens? Had 30,000 dead chickens. 30,000 dead chickens. When that tornado oh. came through. That, that ended my farming career, and that's the reason why I'm sitting here today, part of the story. Well, God speaks dramatically to you, doesn't he? Yes, he okay, does. We're done farming. You're going to be a counselor and yeah. wipe out. Yeah. I want you on Tuesday mornings, pouring into the mission, pouring into these mm -hmm. guys. Your calendar's now clear. I'm going to let you feed people I think I'd say yes ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you had yeah. to say yes early. He so says, I'm, I'm going to let that. you feed people in a different way. So that's been my Ten journey. Ten years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a long time to stay in something. So why do you stay in? I mean, you, you almost, can't you, uh, we've done this for six months, we've done this for a year, we've done this. What, what keeps you in it? It's, it's, 
You know, I, I really think in God's economy, things are upside down. Hmm. It, it, almost always, they're upside down. And so when Jesus said, I came so that you would have life to the full, I think none of us really understand what the full is. But the reason I stay in it is, I don't think spiritually anything I've ever done has been as rich as this has been for me. For you? Yeah. So you're not even talking yet about the impact on the lives of the guys. Right now you're saying you have been redefined. Yeah, he said, I'm, 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 this is what the world shows you is full. This is what I think is full. I think one of the biggest joys for God, and how presumptuous to even <laughs> say that, is he loves mm. restoring broken things. Amen. He doesn't discard things that have gone awry. He restores them. And that's what happens to the mission, not only to the people in our class, but I think to, to Ronnie and I as well, mm. is, is we've been restored. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't see life the same way now that I did 10 years ago. You guys were talking about a guy named Wayne. Huh, huh. Tell us about Wayne. Wayne looks like a middle linebacker. Wayne's got arms like this. And Wayne had just kind of come off the street when he's in my group, and Wayne's angry, and I'm scared. But Wayne had inherited money, uh-huh. and he had never had like a lump sum. And he, lost his mind, got a couple of girlfriends partying day and night. Well, when you party day and night, you lose your job because you're not going to work. Mm -hmm. When you lose your job, you end up getting evicted because you're not paying rent. And and he was on the street, and this party's just bouncing around place to place. Well, as he's on the street, his possessions, you're losing them. And one of his possessions, he had the Bible his mother had given him, and in the front of it, she had written, you know, like a little love letter to him. And he lost it, you know, in a backpack or something, it's gone. So eventually, as always happens, the money runs out. The day after the money runs out, the girlfriends disappear. Mm-hmm. And now you've, now you've got an addiction problem, you're on the street. Mm-hmm. He's on the street for like a year or so, and a guy comes by and hires him because he looks so big. This guy is, is cleaning out like an old property he bought, gonna convert them into apartments. So he hires Cook and another guy, and they drive off. It's like 100 miles from Atlanta they take him away, and they're cleaning this place out, like a couple of stories place. Well, as they get up to the top floor, his buddy's cleaning out, and he said, hey, I've got everything out of here, except there's a little pile of stuff over here in the corner I didn't throw away because some of it might be worth something. Well, there's a stack of books over there in the pile of dirt, and Wayne walks over and picks up one of the books and shakes all the dirt off of it and opens it up, and there's the love letter from his mother in his Bible a year later and 100 miles away. If you put that in a movie, nobody would believe, people would go, that's not believable. No, they wouldn't. But he said, you know, I fell to my knees, and I just thought, okay, if God is going to chase me this hard, I'm going to quit running. And Wayne was sleeping on the sidewalk outside the mission using his shoe as a pillow. So he has gone, and and you talk about God restoring broken things. He's gone from being that guy to over the last decade, I don't know how many hundreds of guys Wayne has taken in off the street. 
And it's going back, Kev, to that just saying yes, because now, over the last decade, how many group leaders we have now, 20? Mm-hmm. I mean, instead of 12 guys, there's 200, 300 guys mm-hmm. on a Tuesday morning. Wow. Great things don't start as great things. Great things just start as good things. Yeah. All I did was say yes, but then when Ronnie, when, when we started seeing the benefits, I'm calling guys that I've never called before, just guys I knew that just had a heart mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff and going, hey, is there any chance maybe you could come lead a group on Tuesday morning? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Every one of them. And people will say to me, what is God doing down at the mission? I go, I have no idea. I just know that it's bigger and greater and wilder and more fun than anything I I could ever tell you. I could tell you what I think he's doing. It's bigger. It's better. Don't you want to just say thank you, Jeff? Thank you, Ronnie, chicken man. (laughs) See, God was, God is moving, was moving a a, a Ronnie Brassfield and a Jeff Foxworthy as he's doing the same for all of us, moving us over time progressively from living for self to living sent. That's what God's doing in us. That's the transformation. You got to move from passenger, so to speak, to driver, from spectator to participant. And when, when, when Jeff Foxworthy says, you know, I look back 10 years, just listen. I look back. Did you hear him? I look back 10 years, and I don't even see life the same as I used to. That's transformation. Here's what he's saying. There was a time back here when I thought I was okay, but now 10 years later, as I've been growing toward living sent, I look back and I realize I used to be what? Blind. Today might be the most selfless I've ever lived. But if I will choose by God's grace to live sent and I will join Jesus, love people like Jesus loves people, tell people about Jesus, in two years, four years, six years, I'll look back and I'll realize today I was selfish. (laughs) Like I will grow. I will mature. God will take me to places I've never been with him and I'll realize what really matters in life. And this is all in the journey of joining Jesus. This is figuring out how to love people like Jesus loves people. This is growing to tell people about Jesus because he's the only hope. And then you heard Jeff saying it, and it's true. The only thing you can do for God is say yes. Is say what? Yeah, when you say yes, I will. That's all you can do for God. That's what the Apostle Paul would say. That's why I put it in your notes. I think the Apostle Paul will put it on the screen. You can jot it down. I just wrote it for you. But you have to join Jesus. You have to say, yes, I will. And you know, you know what the most dangerous thing is right now? You know what the great danger is right now? That you would agree with Jesus. You would agree with the Apostle Paul. You would agree with Jeff. You'd agree with Ronnie. And, 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 and you would agree that doing something good, living scent, is the right answer. And the great danger is that you would agree, nod your head in agreement, and then do nothing. Do you get it? That you would just sit right here and say, oh, that was so good. Glad you brought Jeff and Ron. Oh, that was good. I agree. And then go do nothing. That's the great danger. And, and I've prayed that God would help us do better than that. I mean, I, I, 
I got to get beyond myself. I got my own self-centeredness stuff I got to get beyond. Anybody else going to own? How many of you just know you can be self-centered? How many of you know that? Look at the people not raising their hand. How righteous are you? <laughs> now, we're all in this growing journey. And I have prayed not that 60 or 70% of us would join this do something good, but that 100%, it's an audacious prayer. I'm just telling you, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been praying for you, I've been coming into this weekend, into this series, that 12 stone, 100% of us would say yes. That we would say yes to a couple of things we're gonna talk about in a moment. But here's my point, this is for everybody. Everybody can say yes. Everybody, listen, listen, if you are mature in your faith, this is for you. If, if you're on the fringe of your faith, this is for you. If, if, you, if you're stuck in your faith, this is for you. Say, yes, I will. If you don't even know yet what you believe, you're like, I don't even know if I believe what y'all are talking about. You can still jump into the two yeses I'm going to suggest today. If you're in middle school, high school, or in college, this is for you. If you're single, dating, married, or divorced, this is for you. If you have no kids or young kids or teenagers or you're an empty nester, this is for you. And the only thing you can do for God is say yes. And I think there's two things we need to say yes to. The first one is say yes to prayer. Say yes to pray. Jot it down, put it in your notes. It's to say, yes, I will pray. Yes, I will what, church? Because, listen, the foundation of living sin is prayer. Hear it again. The foundation of living sin is prayer. It's the power of God. And we're going to do something we've never done before as a church. We're going to go after 21 days of prayer together, all on the same prayer, all on the same page. And you're thinking, how are you going to do that? I'll show you. Right now, the ushers are going to get up. They're going to move around the room and across all the campuses. And they're going to distribute to you a booklet. We bought one for everyone today. It looks like this. Inside it is a bookmark. They're going to start distributing them. Everyone take one. This is for you. We're inviting you into 21 days of breakthrough prayer. Now, I'm going to keep talking while these are getting distributed. You get one, put it in your hand, and I'll detail it with you. But first, let me say a couple of things that I want you to hear. When the Apostle Paul was living sent, listen, he recognized and confessed prayer was the foundation. Look on the screen. The books are coming down. Just grab one, pass along. But, but look on the screen while you're doing that. He said, brothers and sisters, to the very church in Thessalonians that was a part of a second missionary journey, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray. And what again? Pray. Say it with me. And what? Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. See, Paul recognized that the strength, the power, the capacity to live sent was prayer. It's the power of God in you and through you. In fact, he went even further in Philippians. He made it clear that we, we, we don't even have the capacity to do the will of God on our own thing. Look, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, God is stirring things in you right now. He is causing trouble in you. He's telling you right now. And you're thinking, well, I don't pray. That's okay. You can now for 21 days because we're about to give you a layout for the next 21 days. We're all going to be on the same prayer. When you get this book, I want you to turn to page 31. Turn to page what? 31. And by the way, everything I'm about to say is summarized on the bookmark. So you don't have to remember it all. You just got your bookmark. You're going to put it in on page 31. 
And let me tell you what we're going to do. Some of you don't have the book yet. That's okay. You're about to get it. But on page 31, it says day one. On page 31, it says what? Day one. Now, all the pages before that are helpful introductory. But tomorrow, tomorrow, September 10th, tomorrow, Monday, September 10th, we're all going to read day one together. And we're going to be on the same page of prayer in agreement. This was put together by a, a friend of mine, David Henderson. Uh, I had l- a lunch with Jim Maxim uh, this, in New York uh, this past June. By the way, I've gone through this 21 days of prayer, involved Jaden with me for a bit of it, in June. Then the elders went through the 21 days together, each day the same day, reading it uh, individually, independently, but on the same prayer of agreement through the month of July. Then in the month of August, the elders joined the staff, and the staff went through the 21 days of prayer. Starting tomorrow, all of 12 Stone is invited to say, yes, I will. I'll do the 21 days of prayer. It will be my fourth time. It'll be the elders' third time. It'll be the staff's second time. It'll be your first time. And together, God's going to reshape us because prayer is the foundation of live sin. And we made it possible for us to do it all together, all at the same time. So, You're going to look on page 31, set your bookmark there. You're going to read through the one, two, three, whatever, four pages on prayer. It'll only take you a few minutes, and it'll be insightful and powerful. Keep listening. Then at the end of it, the authors, one of the authors offered a verbal prayer, and they've been recorded. And you will get to listen to that prayer on the 12 Stone app. On the 12 Stone what? app. They gave us freedom to put it on our app. You'll literally at the end of it, go to the 12 stone app. If you've never downloaded the 12 stone app, thousands of us need to do it because on the app, the very first thing every day for the next 21 days will be the prayer. So you read through the book, that chapter, that section, that day that you're on day one tomorrow. And then at the end, you go to the 12 stone app and right there's going to be the prayer. You listen to the prayer. You agree with the prayer. You can listen to it a couple times if you want. You can offer your own prayer following it. We're all going to be on the same prayer thought, same prayer. Listen, you can do this individually. You can do this as a couple. Maybe the first time you as a family pray together, that's cool. You can do it in the morning, you can do it in the afternoon, you can do it at night, you can do it different times during the day. Maybe once a week you'll do it with your family. You can do it if you're in middle school, high school, college. doesn't matter what season of life, everybody can say, yes, I will. By the way, if you miss a day, I did. <laughs> I did when the staff was doing the 21 days. I, f- I forgot and had, did travel. I'm like, oh, I don't have my book. I messed up. How would I do that? And you know what you do? You just go to the next day. Whatever day next, you've, you've skipped a day. That's fine. You missed a day. You may do that unintentionally. But you go stay on whatever day we're on. At the end of this, on October 4th, we're going to have a prayer experience. It's limited because it has to be in this auditorium and all the campuses are invited, which means only 2,500, 3,000 people are going to be able to come. You have to get online. It's at the bottom of your bookmark if you want to be a part of it. Oh, this is going to be so cool. Yes, I will pray. There's a second thing. Yes, I will do something. Jot it down. Yes, I will what? Do something. Yes, I will do something. See, when the Apostle Paul said, yes, I will, God changed the lives of many, but first, he changed Paul. When Ronnie, when Jeff Foxworthy said, yes, I will, yes, it changed many lives, but first it changed theirs. And by the way, one of the powerful change stories is the man... Jeff Foxworthy mentioned Wayne Cook, and we involved him in the conversation. You got to hear this. Check it out. Here we are, Wayne. So good to meet you and such a joy to have you with us. And Jeff, 
<laughs> this is the guy you said if you had to pick somebody to be in a foxhole, a couple of guys, it's going to be one of the guys. This guy changed my life. If, if, now, you did ask if he would actually get in the foxhole yeah. with you, did you? And what'd you say? Today, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing about me and Jeff is uh, I was experiencing homelessness, but I was living hopelessness, which was something that was way more severe and required a lot more attention that I didn't realize. And so, I mean, like, fundamentally, homelessness can be, you know, can be addressed in, in certain ways, but hopelessness is something that requires a lot more, and this guy gave me hope. I actually would sit there kind of like, you know, uh, expressionless, trying to make them feel uncomfortable so they wouldn't come back. But they kept coming back, like that Freddy Krueger thing, you know, sitting on TV, you know, and he's coming back, and I'm like, what do you want? You know, what are you doing? And I'm like, Okay, so you guys show up here all the time on Tuesdays. You don't bring no snacks. You ain't got no donuts in other words. He actually so they start, said that. They start bringing, they start bringing donuts. That, he said, you, 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 you don't bring no snacks. And I'm thinking, well, the mission's just giving you breakfast. But okay, if that's what you want. So I started stopping by Chick-fil-A. And Chicken Man would stop by Dunkin' Donuts. So we're like, okay, if that's going to be your argument, I'll bring chicken biscuits. He'll like, bring donuts. Can't get rid of these guys. What is it? <laughs> so what do you scare want? them away and actually produce snacks? <laughs> man, please, man. Everybody's like, and I'm king of the campus, you know, because I'm getting these guys to bring snacks and everything. Everybody's looking at me like, you know, look, you're the get man. Get these guys to bring motorcycles. Get these guys to bring whatever, you know. Cook's <laughs> a magic man. He's making it happen. <laughs> so I mean, like, it helps when you got people that got it all together. Tell their story because what I found out is nobody's got it all together, man. Nobody. Thank you understand what I'm saying? I don't care what, what you're representing image, right now. But listen, Jeff and Chicken, they continue to come. And I mean, like, just the fact that they come is to people, it makes them feel like, hey, there are some people that don't have to come here. They come here consistently. There's got to be something to that. You know, they must care about me. I must be worth something if somebody's going to keep coming back because they don't have to. And so that means a lot to them. But personally, Jeff has done some things in my life that I never thought would, would, have, would have taken place. And so, I mean, like, things that to most people are just simple for somebody to just come up and do for you, It's uh, it was just ridiculously life-changing, man. It changed the way I felt about myself. It changed the way I felt about others because I felt like if somebody could do something like that for me, what can I do for someone else? That's a, that's a, I'm, I'm going to write that down. Ridiculously life-changing. And I wrote that down. Ridiculously life-changing. Listen, I, I wrote after that, that's what God does in you. He causes trouble within you to get you over your blindness to living for self so that you can join Jesus and live sin. And you become more like Wayne Cook saying, what can I do for others? And so it matters that you say, yes, I will. And we're going to have a moment together to do just that. I'll turn the service over to the campus pastors, but this moment right now is for you and I to settle before God. 
Yes, I will pray. This is for all of us. Yes, I will do something good. It starts out as just a little good thing God stirs in you. You don't know where it's going to go. And it may be a moment in life or it may become something that builds longer. So I'm just going to let our band stand behind me, Lee, and just sing over you. Yes, I will, Lord. And we want to just sing that prayer over you. Would you, Lee? So, Father, would you give us the clarity of mind in a moment like this, the courage and the boldness to join, really, the Apostle Paul or Chicken Man or Jeff Foxworthy or Wayne Cook? Yes, I will. Whatever you put in front of me, whatever you stir in me. And God, for a bunch of us, this is going to be the first time any of us have ever prayed for 21 days in a row, and you've given us a tool, leverage this, use this, God underneath all of this that you may be the power the source the foundation we don't lift sin on our own simultaneously god we say yes i will i will i will do good i'll do something good i mean we'll practice this on october 7th but between now and then you'll stir things and beyond this god these are just the beginnings of good things you're going to ask of us grow us up move us from living for self to living sin we put our names on this and we say before you god yes i will grow us up to be more like you, to live sin. In Jesus' name, everyone agreed saying, amen.